0: Welcome to this podcast from Harvest Community Church of Huntersville, North Carolina, where our vision is to make disciples who make disciples. I'm your host, Liz Stefanini. So this summer, uh, we're going through the Psalms. and Today we come to Psalm 19. And what I wanna, the way I want to start is I'd like you to turn to two or three people around you And ask, what does a painter need? In order for a painter to create a beautiful picture, what are some of the things that a painter, an artist, needs to have? Go ahead and discuss that with each other. Okay, so uh, just call them out loudly. uh, Raise your hand. What are some of the things that painters need? They need a paintbrush. That's true. Brushes. Call them loudly. A variety of colors, right? Yeah. Yes, a palette. Talent. Parents got talent. Painters got talent. So, yeah, there's there's many things in... I just this morning did a few little things. To... <laughs> Thanks to Jessica Rodriguez, who's uh, an artist, and she did these. Um, she teaches art, and uh, you know there are many supplies. We've got all kinds of supplies that she brought, and in all of that, or in addition, you know, there's creativity, there's imagination, there's time, but. You need a canvas, right? The, the The picture needs to go somewhere so that people can see it. The, the picture goes from here and here to the canvas. And again, we see some beautiful ones there. Now, that sets up Psalm 19 for us. Because the way I see Psalm 19 is just as a painter... Will display his or her artistic work on canvases. God has also several canvases on which he has displayed his glory. And Psalm 19 is a song that praises God for that and calls us or calls on him in. Response. So let me read this psalm uh, to us as we're going to look at it today. For the director of music, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course it rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other nothing is deprived of its warmth the law of the Lord is perfect refreshing the soul the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy making wise the simple the precepts of the Lord are right giving joy to the heart But who can discern their own errors, forgive my hidden faults, keep your servant also from willful sins, may they not rule over me, then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And as David the psalmist prayed that, let's pray. Lord, help us today, the things we think about, the things that we meditate on, even in these next few minutes, to be pleasing to you, to be a fragrant offering to you. Help us, Jesus. Amen. Well, let's think about where God displays his glory. Let's think about three canvases that we see here in Psalm 19. And the first one is the heavens, verses 1 through 6. God displays his glory in the heavens. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. This is not something that is casual. This is not something that's just barely there. This is something that burst out, right? The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. So just like when I look at this canvas, when I see these beautiful pictures, I know they didn't just accidentally get there. It wasn't like a A bunch of uh, paint, somehow there was an explosion in, in the art room, and this all came together. An artist with intent and purpose and design did it. And that's when we look in the heavens, that's what we see. We see the greatest artist of all. Now, God did not take his masterpiece and put it in a museum where only a few people could go see it. If you want to see a lot of art, you have to go to a certain place, an art gallery, a museum, something, there's certain hours, there's probably a cost to do it. Uh, no, God's display is for all to see uh, at no cost. Now, obviously, the psalmist at this time did not have all of the understanding Of the skies and the heavens that we have now. But he was able to look up into those skies and see it proclaiming the glory of God. Right now, the observable universe contains at least two trillion galaxies. And each of these galaxies has billions of stars in each of them. Our own galaxy, the Milky Way, uh, it's just one of them. It's, it's not even considered a large galaxy in, in the scheme of all of them, even though there are several hundred billion stars in it, one of which is our sun. Now, to help us wrap our minds around this a little bit, if you think about the Milky Way galaxy, if the Milky Way galaxy were the size of North America then our entire solar system would fit inside this coffee cup. The Milky Way galaxy is the size of North America. Our entire solar system would fit inside this cup. Now, can you look in there? Can you see where you are in there? (laughs) The heavens declare the glory of God. The farthest object you can see uh, with your naked eye is Andromeda, or M31. Uh, scientists or astronomers used to think that this fuzzy patch was just another nebula, but then they uh, discovered about 100 years ago, Edwin Hubble uh, discovered that it is actually a galaxy, and it's two and a half million light years away from us. That's a long way. (laughs) But with all of the, you know, the the lights, the brilliant stars, it allows us to see it even from earth. That's, that's you can see that with the naked eye. It doesn't look like that exactly with the naked eye. Telescopes have helped us. So if you, right now, if you do a telescope, apparently the, and of course these things change often, but the most recent thing I've seen that um, the most distant galaxy that we can see is GNZ one one. It's small as galaxy goes. It's about one twenty-fifth the size of the Milky way, only 1% of the mass in, in the Milky way. It's 32 billion light years away from us. It's, the heavens are just amazing, right? <laughs> they declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Now notice how extensive this revelation is. It's happening all the time. These these words declare and proclaim would best be understood as, as something that is ongoing. They are declaring. They are proclaiming. And they hap- this revelation happens not only during the daytime; it happens at night. It's every day and every night, as we see in verse two. Day after day, they pour forth speech, and night after night, they reveal knowledge. It's every day. It's all the time. It's every night. It's everywhere. Don and Sai are here for- with us from Thailand. And the heavens are declaring the glory of God in Thailand just as they are here. Doesn't matter where you are in the world or who you are or what your background is, you can see the glory of God in the heavens. Now, who who sees it? Well, verse 3, they have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them. It happens so that everybody in the world can do it without speech because everybody has different languages. Well, this language works for everybody. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. So it's extensive. It's an extensive revelation. And not only is it extensive, it's, it's vigorous. Like I said, it's not just, you know... Barely there. It's a vigorous revelation. Look what he says in the heavens. God has pitched a tent for the sun. So he he takes the heavens and he takes the one light that governs the day, the sun, and he's going to talk about that just a little bit. And he's going to make this comparison two comparisons. If we think about the sun and the rising of the sun and how the sun burst on the scene, it's, it's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. Those things aren't meek and mild. The groom that emerges after the wedding, the hero or the warrior that's ready to run the race, Verse 6, it rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. And of course, the again, the ancients didn't understand astronomy the way we do, but they knew uh, that a great distance had to be covered. The course was run with regularity. And this is using popular language, phenomenological language. And even today in our scientific era, we use it as well. If you watch a weather forecast, what are they going to say? The sun is going to rise at, you know, 556 or something. And we all know the sun doesn't literally rise. It just, it's a, it's a figurative expression of showing this is when we are able to see the light. Now, I, I love those. I, I love, I love the beach and the mountains both. I probably would take the beach over the mountains. But one of my favorite things to do at the beach is to go down when it's still a little bit dark, and the sun is just getting ready. So I have three pictures that I took myself. These aren't professional pictures, but I want you to see the little progress here. This is Surfside Beach, uh, just south of Myrtle Beach, and the sun is just starting to peak up there, and then gets it a little bit more, and then it just gets bigger and bigger, and it's like this is like the bridegroom coming out. This is like the warrior. And who made that? God. This declares the glory of God. So you could, you could summarize verses 1 to 6 and say, this, God is revealing his glory. Now, God doesn't reveal everything about himself through creation. And not everything in creation is talked about in Psalm 19, but specifically the heavens are talked about. And you're reading along and you're reading about the heavens and you're reading about the sun and you're reading about these amazing things. And then in verse 7, it just changes. I mean, it just goes completely away from that discussion and starts talking about God's word. So that is the second canvas where God displays his glory. He's taken a canvas. One of them is the heavens. He has another canvas, and that is his word. And he has displayed his word or his glory in his word. That's what happens here. This is is the difference between what theologians call general revelation and special revelation, right? General revelation is revelation that's available to everyone. Anyone and everyone can see it, like the heavens, like the creations. And it reveals some things about God. It reveals enough about God to make all people accountable, Romans 1 tells us. But special revelation is his specific words that he has given us in the Bible that tell us exactly who he is, exactly who we are, exactly what life is, what death is, what it means to be successful in his eyes. This is special revelation and this is the word of God. And just as the sun is indispensable for our solar system, so God's word is indispensable for our lives, for us to be able to function with personal health and vitality. Now, as we go through verses 7 through 11, there's a pattern that keeps repeating. It's just bang, bang, bang. It's poetry. But it, first of all, there's a name for God's Word. Then there's a description of God's Word. And then it tells you the effect. And you see I have them on three different colors. So as we go through these verses, the names will be in white, the descriptions will be in yellow, the effect will be in green. All of us artists do things like that. (laughs) Right, Jessica? (laughs) Oh, man, I'm terrible. I can draw stick figures. (laughs) Here we go. The law of the Lord, that's the name. The description is perfect. And what's the effect? What does it do? Refreshing the soul. Now, law is the Hebrew word Torah. We we hear law and we think of, you know, like laws like the speed limit and just something that's completely restrictive. But it's a much broader term and a much broader concept in the Bible. And the psalmist, as he's talking about, he's talking about the Torah, the instruction of the Lord. It's It's God breathing out his life principles to people. It's telling them. How to live so they can live with joy and purpose and freedom and meaning. This, the law of the Lord, the instruction of the Lord. Michael Wilcox gives a comprehensive definition of that term. He says, it's all that God wants us to know about himself. There's no life for the soul without that. And so the law of the Lord is perfect. And that word almost means comprehensive. It, it tells us, it covers all aspects of life, like child-rearing and parenting and dealing with parents and financial matters and sickness. And what does it do? It refreshes the soul. It restores the soul. It heals the whole person. The soul is the life of the person. Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Statutes remind us what to do. Trustworthy means that everything God says here is verifiable It's true in principle. It's verifiable in the situations of life. It creates a solid foundation and it makes wise the simple. It gives us wisdom. It's the source of wisdom for everyone who will provide or who will receive it. It shows us how to live life. It shows us how to make the correct choices. It protects us from the disaster of an unwise and foolish lifestyle. And in Like in the wisdom literature in the Old Testament, that's what wise and foolish means. It's not somebody who's accumulated more facts versus someone who's ignorant of those facts. It's someone who understands God and his principles and acts on them. That's what wisdom is. And foolishness is somebody who does the opposite. Psalm 119.30 says, The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Proverbs 2 6, for the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth come understanding, or knowledge and understanding. Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. Now precepts are order, orders. This focuses on the authority of God's word and they are right. It maps out a course for us and it gives joy to the heart. So it's, there's an inner peace that comes when we follow God's principles. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Commands, these are very specific instructions. And that word radiant is like free from contamination. So it, it, there's a purity, a pure product. Verse 9 It's interesting how the language changes a little bit. It's still talking about God's word, but here's a term for God's word that you don't hear. The fear of the Lord. All of the other terms in the beginning, precepts, statutes, and so forth are used in many places, but now it says the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. So what happens is in this instance, David the writer is turning To talk about the response that should be engendered to God's Word. We should fear God. We should respect God. We should have an awe about Him. It's not being afraid, but it's understanding how great He is. We have a reverence for Him. It endures forever. It endures forever. Did any of you have any clothes or have you had clothes in your closet that didn't endure forever? Uh, Gentlemen who wore neckties, did you have any neckties that didn't endure forever? Maybe if you've been around long enough, you wore some ties that were maybe about that wide and they didn't endure forever. Uh, maybe then the the, t- the ties that were about that thin didn't endure forever. Or who was alive in the 70s? Raise your hand, admit it how about the platform shoes and the leisure suits that we wore they they didn't endure forever <laughs> but the the big hair didn't endure forever <laughs> Uh, Richard, would you stand up? The guy who said amen, I want you to see. Just point to your hair. It didn't endure forever. But the fear of the Lord endures forever. Now, are you seeing a pattern here in verses 7 to 11? You you see the phrase that keeps getting repeated, of the Lord, of the Lord, of the Lord, of the Lord? The law of the Lord, the statutes of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commands of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the decrees of the Lord. And that's significant for two reasons. Number one, the Bible belongs to God. It comes from him. It is his. And secondly, Revelation is progressing through the course of this psalm. The name that was used for God in the first six verses is el In Hebrew, it refers to him as creator God. But now the name for God that's being used in these verses is Yahweh. It's the word, the term for God that's used speaking of the covenant. It's God's covenant personal relationship with people. It's the same God. It matches, Revelation matches what he is saying in the first six verses and now in the second section. And the last one is in verse 9. Also, the decrees of the Lord are firm, all of them are righteous. Decrees, the Bible speaks with final authority on many difficult issues. They're firm. This reflects the faithfulness and the loyalty of God. And it stresses its utter dependability. And they are righteous. They will take you on the right path. You know, most of us use GPS when we're going somewhere. And I don't know, a very, very high percentage of the time, GPS takes us there. But have you ever gone to a place that it's not really on your GPS and you go around and around and you drive around and around and you're like, it's supposed to take me there that's not a righteous GPS a righteous GPS is one that is right it takes you to the right place and David is saying God's Word takes me to the right place it's righteous and so in verses 10 and 11 David gives something of a of a summary Because of the quality of God's Word and the way it can completely transform our lives, it's of greater value than two things that people spend a lot of time and energy on and a lot of thought, and that's food and money. Those drive people a lot. Those drive us a lot. And he says uh, they are more precious, still talking about the decrees of the Lord, They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. And a final word in verse 11 about the effect. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Now, notice who gets the reward of God's word. Not just the person that believes it. Not just the person that gives mental assent to it or who studies it. Who, who, for whom is it a reward? The one who keeps it. The one who obeys it. That's where the reward comes in. So we've seen these two amazing canvases, right? The heavens. And the word and many, many commentators look at this passage and talk about these two areas. But, but I see a third canvas. <laughs> and that canvas is our lives. Because after saying all these amazing things about the heavens and about the word of God, it naturally lead, leads David to pray. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. He just said that the ones who keep your word have great reward. Okay, God, I need help with that. I have errors. I have sins. And just as nothing is hidden from the light of the sun... God's word penetrates our lives completely. Nothing is hidden from him. He knows everything. He knows our thoughts. He knows our sins. He knows everything about us and our only proper response is to seek forgiveness from him. Because we're not going to we're not going to go, well, we're okay. We're not going to deny it. We're not going to run from him. We're not going to hide from him. We're his light is going to shine light on our lives. So the, the hidden faults are the ones we don't know about yet. Verse 13, keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. Willful sins can dominate us. And I'll be, if that's the case, I'll be innocent of great transgressions. King David wrote this. He was a man after God's own heart. It's amazing. But we also know that David knew great transgression in his life, right? And we don't really know whether he wrote this before or after his great transgression. We know Psalm 51 he wrote afterwards because it was a Psalm of confession. But we don't, we don't know. I think Adam and Eve probably had a good sense of God's glory, right? They were in the Garden of Eden and they saw God and walked with God. And yet, there was great transgression. So, this is who we are as humans. We we have to ask God for protection, for help, to keep us from these things. And, of course, to forgive us when we sin. We need to call on God for victory. And so, David says... As he concludes, may these words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David is concluding with worship. That word pleasing, some of your translations probably use the word acceptable. It's a word that's used in the context of sacrifice. It's let it be an offering to you, Lord. Let it be pleasing to you. And where does David go for help? Where can you and I go for help today? Because either now or at some point, you may be going, man, I really need help. (laughs) I need help. Where do we go? Do we go to ourselves? Do we go to our willpower? Or do we go to our rock and our redeemer? He's our rock. He's our refuge. He's one that is dependable, that we can trust. He's our champion. And so here's God's word for us today. The glory God displays in the heavens and in his word can also be displayed in us. I think that's what he wants to do. I think that's why David praised it this way. Man, we see the glory of God in the heavens. We see it in his word. Oh God, please display it in me. Now think about that. I hope you will not just let this go in your minds, but I hope it will go all the way down into your heart. Think about that. If you're his child, and you walk out these doors this week, God wants to display His glory in you. Man, that's amazing to me. Me? (laughs) Me? Are you kidding? Yes, you. (laughs) No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what you're going through now, God wants to display His glory. That David understood it, Lord make make my life make my meditation acceptable to you It's not going to happen apart from Jesus He's not mentioned in the psalm by name but everything in scripture points forward to him in the Old Testament And if you ask how think about the canvases <laughs> What about these What about the heavens? Uh, well, Jesus was involved in creation. (laughs) What about the Word? Uh, Jesus is the living Word. And what about our lives? Well, we have to have, we have to have a Redeemer. And David, as David calls on God, his Redeemer, Jesus is that Redeemer. Hebrews just nails it, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in many ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son through whom He Appointed or whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. Praise his name. Let me give you three quick takeaways this morning. First of all, let creation move you. Let creation move you. We talked about our community group Was talking about this uh, Friday night and one of my favorite things in life was when we lived in Chicago and in the summertime we'd our our church and some other churches would go to family camp up in Upper Peninsula Michigan up on the border of Canada way up there (laughs) nothing but trees and animals and sounds and silence and Think about my buddy and I walking out at night and just looking in the sky and, you know, you didn't, there's no city for who knows how many hundreds of miles. And so the, the ability to see the lights of the sky were just amazing. But just let creation move you because God created that. That's displaying his glory. And parents, when you, when you get those opportunities, those of you who are parents, when you get that opportunity with your kids, when you see something that's really cool like a waterfall or a creek or a lake or a bug, I mean, you know, the good kind of bugs that are colorful and don't bite you and sting you, uh, point them to God. wow. Isn't God, an amazing Creator to be able to create something like this. That's parents have that. and that's 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 an awesome thing about children's ministry. Children are so creative and curious, and 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 we get to share with them stuff like this. So let creation move you. Secondly, let meditation on God's word shape you. This is His glory. It's His canvas. God's Word is powerful. That's why we preach it and teach it. That's why the driving thing in this church as far as the sermons is not the the pastor or the ideas of the preacher. It's God's Word. And that's why we equip you to study it and meditate on it and challenge you and encourage you to spend time with it and let it refresh your soul. And then let this prayer guide you. This this prayer that David made. Meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. Tim Keller said that in 1970, something a Sunday school teacher said changed his life. And the teacher took out a sheet of paper. It was about like this. Probably, maybe, large, maybe it was more like this one. Maybe a full sheet of paper, but it was the same thickness, right? And the teacher said, you know, the sun, of course, is 92 million miles away from us. The teacher said, let's assume that the distance between the earth and the sun, that 92 million miles, was reduced to the thickness of that paper. Okay? If that's the case, then the distance between the Earth and the nearest star would be a stack of papers 70 feet high. And the diameter of the galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, would be a stack of papers 310 miles the galaxy is just a speck of dust in the universe. Yet Jesus holds the universe together by the word of his power. And then the teacher asked the students Now, is this the kind of person that you ask into your life to be your assistant? And, of course, the answer is no. We yield to him. We receive him. We bow before him. The glory God displays in the heavens and his word can also be displayed in us. Thanks again for joining us today from Harvest Community Church. This podcast is also available on our website, HarvestCharlotte.com. Please go there if you want to send a question or comment, learn more about our ministries, or find out how you can donate to support the podcast.